From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. We are here on episode 241 to talk about this deep, truthful story of Hansel and Gretel, why this is so memorable, why it connects to us. Once I started to dive into this particular story, all of these archetypal underlying truths about the psyche and about the human condition emerged and that's why stories like this which originated back in 1812 stick around today that's why they are so memorable because they have elements that connect to the human psyche images right we all remember that image of the old lady in the gingerbread house enticing the children to come in only to find there's horror behind the outer layer of that onion, right? That is so enticing. And well, there's something dark lurking behind the surface. And so a lot of us are connected to this story. We remember these stories, but we fail to really ask the question, well, what makes them so memorable and why do they stick? That's what we're talking about today. I did one recently about the Sisyphus story. It's a few episodes back. Scroll down, you'll find it. It's like in two episode 265, 66 or 67, somewhere around there. I loved that episode because once I began to read, read the Sisyphus story, the same thing happened. So many deep underlying truths emerged. But this Hansel and Gretel story is part of the Grimm's fairy tale series. This story was published back in 1812. And most of us remember the gist, right? This is the abstract representation of an underlying truth. It's like the dragon, which is a abstract imagistic representation of the fears that the human condition has been subjected to over the many centuries and years and thousands of years that we've evolved. It's an amalgamation of what's true into this story-like element that is easy to digest. That's why stories like Adam and Eve, that's why stories like Cain and Abel, the Christ story, or Osiris and Tiamat, these stories have this gist and we can easily absorb them, not even understanding why. More like it makes sense, it clicks. So let's dive into this story. So this story is about young children. So emphasize children, they're not adults, they're children, of a poor woodcutter living with this, his second wife. So it's the stepmother, so these children don't have a mother. They have this other stepmother. And the woodcutter's second wife, she's a tyrant to the children. And the children don't like her. The children feel abused. The father is a bit of a blind person. He's, he's, not, he's not a very 
evil character, but he's blind. He's willfully blind to the effects this second wife has on the children, which is interesting because a lot of the hero archetypes is saving the father from like the belly of the whale, like in Pinocchio, saving the father, father because the spirit of culture eventually becomes blind and has to be revivified by new information, which is represented by the younger generation. The new information is, well, is the children are the embodiment of that. So it's like in Lord of the Rings, King Theoden, who is possessed by this worm tongue creature from sent from the depths of hell. Right. And he, completely becomes a blind, old, frivoled-up person, and the, the, the state decays because of that, but he's revivified by Gandalf. He's revivified by the new order, the spirit of what's good coming into the, their presence, and they drive that evil, malevolent voice creeping into Th King Theoden away from the kingdom, banishes that voice, and the king is then revivified. That's the hero archetype. In a nutshell, Pinocchio rescuing his blind, uh, I guess you could say, decayed father, old ideas, and revivifying these ideas and incorporating the new ideas into the old ideas, making the old ideas become more awake and rescuing his father is, is, that, is that theme. It, it is that idea. But anyways, the children don't like this stepmother. She's a tyrant. And she has a conversation with the woodcutter and says, hey, we got to get rid of these children. We're poor and the children are eating up everything. What if we just leave them out in the woods? And the woodcutter objects, but she insists and convinces the woodcutter to, well, get rid of these children and send them away. Maybe a stranger will pick them up and take better care of them because she says to the woodcutter, well, we're not doing a great job. Look, they're they're starving here. Maybe we should get rid of them and they'll be better off somewhere else. So that's what happens. Off they go. And this is interesting because a lot of step parents, I mean, there's a problem there because there are great step parents. Don't get me wrong. But the, the tyrannical ones try and push the children aside because they view their, that, those children as not their own and they actually get in the way of the relationship that they want to foster with their partner. So they try and do what they can to push the children away from the biological parent as much as they can so that the attention is more focused on the relationship rather than the relationship with the children. And that's very interesting. It's very, very, very common. And so that's the narcissistic, tyrannical element of the human psyche that can arise in that kind of environment, that relationship. 
So the children, so they're hungry and tired. Now they're away from their kingdom. They're away from known territory. They're outside in the unknown and they stumble upon a house made of candy. And that's convenient because, hey, we're starving here. And look at that. Look how enticing that is. Something too good to be true, right? And hey, for them, all they see is something that's going to fulfill their instant gratification and what they desire most, which is food. And well, it's like Disney these days, right? So we're going to dive into that rabbit hole. Disney presents to us your favorite characters, Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker, the characters that you grew up watching, Buzz Lightyear, this and that. They entice you with things that you know to love. It's like the gingerbread house. It entices you. Candy. Oh, that's great. I love candy. I know candy. That's great. I know Indiana Jones. That's great. But once you watch the films, you will see a political message if you are awake enough embedded within these stories. Ideology is embedded within the story. And that's what's happening these days. That's why Disney is failing. That's why their stock is plummeting crazily is because they they embed all of these messages and some people eat it up without being awake enough to realize what they're eating up but a lot of the people that i speak to who talk about these films these newer star wars films and marvel films and the indiana jones film is well it feels hollow it doesn't connect to me like the old films and that's because they they revivify old IP that's enticing, that we know we love. We love these characters, but behind the scenes, there is a message here. And they're trying to drive home something that is far from the spirit that attracted us to these characters in the past. It's more so as a, a strategy to sway us into a new territory that just doesn't work right that they deem to be true but to us it's far from it that's why we don't connect to them it's like a theme park it's like clowns right what's a theme park well everything that's going to fulfill you on the outside surface oh fun adventure hedonic pursuits that's great but What's lurking behind the scenes? People who want to control you, manipulate you, take your money. You spend money like mad and then you leave the park feeling even more unfulfilled, like you've wasted so much money. You feel like crap because you've overindulged in cake, cotton candy, popcorn. They fatten you up. They make you more malleable so that they can continue to take money from you. They hit you over the head with really enticing imagery but behind the scenes, there are corporate overlords who just want to keep you unconscious and consuming. And a clown, which is also interesting, is a representation of an infantile adult, right? Why do, you, why do you find clowns so creepy? It's because what's more terrifying than an adult who's acting like a 10-year-old, 
There's nothing more creepy than that. That's why they're they're horrifying. Even to a ch- child, some children are like, what is up with this? It's this grown man acting silly and goofy like that. It's like infantile adult. Right? And a lot of these ideas around this woke movement is precisely infantile ideas. It's precisely, on the surface level, diversity. Sounds great. Of course we want diversity, of course. But what we're seeing now is diversity is now another word for less white people. Because diversity is now at the pinnacle of what's important to culture. If that's what's of highest ideal, you're fighting racism with racism. Because if nothing is but diversity, then what's left out of the equation is white people. And that's what we've been trying to fight out of for a long time in terms of slavery, in terms of just having, just being unified as one species rather than divided. And now we're becoming more divided than ever because we're just flipping the script completely upside down at this point. And we see that embedded within Disney. The politics of Disney now, it's incredibly corrupt, unbelievably corrupt. But we see this old witch, this old lady, enticing the children in because the children are eating the the K or the the house and it's fulfilling them, it's fattening them up. It's like, yes, finally food. But there's this old lady who's like, come on in, children. And I love the old lady imagery because an old lady is kind of cute. You know, old people are kind of cute and innocent and it's it's like almost like a clown. It's like the persona, right? It's like on the surface, yeah, you know, it's playful, whimsical. But when you open your eyes wide enough, you realize, wait a minute, that clown is creepy because infantile adult. And so the old lady takes the children inside. Her intentions, by using compassion, is to devour them. That's her intention. And it's like Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter, which is a great image of that. You know, she talks in this gentle whimper, this gentle cuteness. And she wears fluffy pink outfits. It's, you know, cute. And she has these cat tapestry in her office. She loves cats, cute, playful. But behind the scenes, we know, we can see clearly that her intentions is to lure and manipulate and gain power. And that's the horrifying aspect of the gingerbread house. She seeks power to fulfill. That's the narcissistic identity. That's the devouring mother. Psychopaths will prey upon those who look defeated and who need a helping hand. 
And like the fox and the cat in Pinocchio, they get one over on Pinocchio. Because Pinocchio's a puppet. He's naive. He's just entering the real world, just like these children are. And let's emphasize real world. Real world is not being overly protected with your parents, which we'll dive into in, the, in this episode. But he ventures off into the world. And in the world, you're going to get good and evil, not just one side, not not just evil, not just good. You're going to get both. And so Pinocchio is manipulated by the fox and the cat. But by the end of the movie, Pinocchio is not the same person. Why? Because he failed. He, he fell into the traps of reality. But more importantly, his eyes opened. Because once you encounter the snakes of existence, your eyes open. It traumatizes you. That's what it means to be awake, is to encounter the malevolence of the world. Like Pinocchio, Hansel and Gretel are touched by this malevolence. They are betrayed by the spirit of what's good, right? If you go out into the world believing everything is good, everything is okay, and also they enter the world also knowing that at home things aren't satisfactory because of the stepmother, right? If everything was so hunky-dory at home, they got everything they ever wanted, do you think they would have left at, an, at that early age to grow up so quickly? No, they would have probably been infants, infants until they were 20, like a lot of people nowadays, or 30, rather, not 20, 30. These days, people are still infants. I see like 50-year-old infants all the time. But that's because they just remain in this comfort space that they know and love. Right? That's familiar. But to be naive is to have your eyes closed, ignorant, uneducated, unable to see patterns. That's the thing. Unable to see patterns. So Harry Potter, he is the seeker of truth. He refuses to be a slave to Dolores Umbridge, right? And he's also like the characters Hansel and Gretel because he, he was raised in a very toxic household and because things were not good at his home, that actually fueled his seeking-like drive to be better somewhere else, to get out of that environment and to go on this great adventure. And so the spirit of Dumbledore's castle, which that is predicated on truth, is now corrupt. The state is now corrupt. And the only way to transcend that is to work behind the scenes, building strength, building strength on an individual level. So what Harry does is he develops Dumbledore's army and he starts to, in this secret room within the castle, take his friends and they start to strengthen themselves with magic. 
and practice magic, which they were told they could not do. Restrictions, right? A tyrannical system is all about restricting people into a very finite way of thinking and behaving. Just like Disney, how they're restricting their message into a very cookie-cutter way of perceiving. Perceiving males as weak entities and the females as, well, unable, they get everything handed to them. There's no struggle whatsoever and they win all the time. And we see in all the Marvel movies, that's just the case. The male characters are being denigrated and stepped on by these overarching, overly powerful female characters who win and there's no flaws in them whatsoever and they remain stoic and consistent throughout the whole movie, making the movie completely boring. And now nobody's paying to see these movies anymore is because of that reason, is because they're overly predictable. We see the pattern and they only, they only tell the story from one perspective rather than both sides of the story. And no one wants to go and see that. And so it's also important to know that tyrannical systems are co-created, meaning it's not just the state that's controlling the population, but the people are in this co-conspiracy with the system, just like how Solzhenitsyn described the Soviet Union, how what he witnessed in regards to that, and in Nazi Germany as well. Uh, many of the population, the people, would, would rat out on their neighbors and their family members, right? And they would be deemed as heroic entities and saviors of the state by doing so. And it's all predicated on lies. I mean, look at Dolores Umbridge. She, all of her beliefs are predicated on lies. She said, well, Voldemort doesn't exist. Voldemort's not coming back. And what does she do with the school? The students, they, she keeps them weak, vulnerable. Why? Because they're malleable. You can control them if they're vulnerable. Look at uh, North Korea. That state is keeping all of the population starving and poor. Why? Because if they had food in their bellies, they would actually begin to think about real matters. They would actually begin to contemplate their situation because if they had food in their bellies well what will happen well they'd realize that they were starving before right i know they know that they're starving but once you once you venture off and onto the other side of that coin you're going to realize how bad it really was because the state is telling them you have it good because of these specific reasons and then people start to buy that because the normal then is starvation and being poor and being vulnerable and being unconscious. But once you start to awake to your situation and your circumstance and that, hey, 
these other countries don't have it as bad because that's what also what tyrannical systems do. They don't want you to peer into the into the into the others other side they don't want you to know what it's like in the united states that people have autonomy they have cars they have homes they have dogs they have uh, an abundance of food and literature and internet they restrict that because if you have those things then you're going to have some autonomy and the state doesn't want you to have that and wants you to remain they want you to remain this unconscious blob so that they can just continue to be the puppet master and you're the puppet so the witch what happens is the old lady coaxes gretel to the oven she she's like come to the oven and look into the oven to see if it's hot enough see if everything is going well and gretel with her eyes open Funny that it's a, the girl, by the way, which is interesting because girls are more conscious than than males because they have to. Well, they're they're wired that way because they have to bear children and they need to be more conscious of the predatory entities lurking in the in the grass because there's more at stakes for them, and they have to take care of infants, so they're more prone to negative emotion. And, well, she understands the witch's intent, the old lady's intent, and then tricks the old lady into not understanding what she is saying. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Lean into the oven. Can you show me? And then the old lady demonstrates, and Gretel kicks her into the oven and killing the old lady. And so we even see that in Adam and Eve, too, the... Adam tells God and blames the woman that she made me eat the, the fruit that we were told not, not to eat. And he blames her. And that's interesting because, well, first of all, we see that Eve has her eyes open and she's more conscious. But the man... You know, women make men self-conscious all the time because, well, what's more, what makes you more awake than being rejected by someone you deem as beautiful or attractive? Because you put them up as an ideal and the ideal judges you and that makes you awake. Absolutely. And so then Hansel and Gretel discover the treasure of the old lady. And that's interesting because why do we always find treasure to be in the hero myth? That's so interesting. And that's because you gain the knowledge of good and evil when you venture off into the dragon's lair. And also, why is there usually a virgin there too? Because that's also, treasure is also represented as a female for the male archetype. And that's because throughout human history, when men drive out the dragons of chaos, the animals, you know, because that's what men have been doing forever, they become attractive to females. 
And that makes sense. They become, well, they're, they're capable, right? They're capable. And so that's attractive. And so the old lady, she's like that snake in the Garden of Eden. She's drawing an answer without reason. The snake opens the eyes of Adam and Eve by preying on their low conscientiousness, their blindness. She's preying on their blindness. She's, she, and that's unbelievably interesting. And so what happens when you don't overprotect your children is that they fall, they make mistakes, and they learn to fend for themselves. And this is why this story is so deeply meaningful is because when you leave the confines of your safe place, like Harry Potter leaving the Dursleys or Pinocchio leaving his father, going out into the real world or in the Buddhist story, Siddhartha leaving his walled off kingdom, Adam and Eve venturing forth from the garden by eating the fruit and the knowledge of good and evil, awakening to the fact that the snakes always get into the garden, is that their encounter with the snake, their old lady, so uh, Hansel and Gretel's encounter with the old lady is a huge developmental moment for them. It, it opens their eyes. That's what happens when you let your children out into the real world knowing that they might be broken by it, right? That's, that's La Pieta, Michelangelo's La Pieta, right? Where Mary's holding Christ and Christ's body is broken. It's just the, the look of complete devastation and horror on her face. That's why that image is so magnificent. She's, she, she it's like she knew that the world is going to eat this, her child up. And it actually did. That's why that story is archetypal. And then we see the same idea in the Sleeping Beauty story, where the parents refuse to invite the queen, Maleficent, to her, their daughter's christening with the prince. And so this is the refusal to expose your child to the realities of the world. The overprotective parents keep their children infants in this way. Even if they're 20, even if they're 30, they can remain infants. But Maleficent does show up by her own accord, just like the snake, that always makes its way into the garden no matter what. There's no way you can keep that out. And there's a great quote by Dostoevsky. He says, the best way to keep a prisoner from escaping is to make sure he never knows he is in prison. That's incredible. That's the Buddha story. His, bother, his father blocks out all of the realities of existence from him. But like any child, like any person in the world, they venture out beyond the walls of their confined space, the place of comfort, 
And what do they find? Death, decay, suffering, some sort of suffering. But if you are not awake enough, if you are not awake enough, you will be susceptible to the alluring narrative of those who want to control you, to manipulate you. The devil is in the details. People know within seconds of meeting you whether they can take advantage of you because those who are not a sucker are awake and can catch the snakes in the grass. Lynn Isbell, I believe she's an anthropologist. She, she discovered that chimpanzees who grew up in environments around snakes and the more snakes in the environment, the more awake the chimpanzees are, the better that they can see. That's interesting. The better that they can see, the more snakes in the environment, the better the vision. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. But if you're not so wide-eyed and swayable, you can say no. And mean it. And so the people don't mess with you. Those that forego instant gratification can avoid the terrible dragon of chaos. That's another theme of this story. Because the children, so desirous and in need, jump upon the house of candy. And that's another lesson. The reason why they were preyed upon was because they were desperate, vulnerable. So the sacrifice of that gratification now can stave off the many snakes associated with that gratification. You might actually survive, thrive. And that's a great lesson. But I don't think we really learn that lesson until, until we fall into the hands of the snakes. We have to fall into the hands of the snakes. It's a great lesson for Hansel and Gretel. They, you know, it's so memorable to them that do you think they'll be so gullible the next time? because of how traumatic this experience was for them? Of course not. Of course not. They're not the same person. They're not the same people anymore. Quite the contrary. And that's where I'm going to leave you on this podcast episode. Thank you, everyone, as always, for being here, for being a support. If you haven't already, please just head on over to Spotify. If you're already on Spotify, great. Just leave a quick rating. That's it. That's all I ask so that it'll help get the podcast more out into the public sphere. Because if you find it valuable, and so many of you do, then think of how many more people will find this valuable and how much good it will do for everyone. Rise above anxiety. I'll see you on the next podcast episode.
Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.